0: I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices.
1: Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Chubby Ball! Robbie Robbie Wheatley. pass, Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here in studio in Cork. By all accounts, we at the 42 are into our ninth week of working from home during this pandemic, which means a few of you probably are as well. Maybe a few more of you are into the bowels of week six or seven at this stage. And first and foremost, wherever you are, we hope you and your loved ones are all keeping well, or as well as possible during what remains, after a couple of months anyway, a very weird time. Aside from the well-being of our own loved ones, our biggest fear as we stared into what now feels like an epoch without live sport was an existential one. And we've been transparent about our fairly understandable struggles on the business side of things, struggles which continue, and struggles during which we could not appreciate more. All of you who have already signed up to become a member of the 42 at members.the42.ie. But I'll tell you what, amid this temporary era of sporting nostalgia and watchbacks and retrospective punditry, Murray Kinsella alleviated much of my nihilistic discomfort last week when we were chatting after our final "Making the Lions" podcast episode, and Murray said to me, "Here, Ed, you want to just do a normal podcast next week? I reckon we'll have loads to chat a bit." And not for the first time, ladies and gentlemen, the riding pride of County Waterford, Ireland. Was absolutely correct. So, hopefully, today's episode will give you the same warm, fuzzy feeling as Murray gave me last week as we retract our wing mirrors and move things up a gear on the road back to normality or something resembling it. Murray, how the hell are you, my dear, dear friend?
0: Yeah, I'm good. I I didn't realize I'd made such an impact on you by that minor suggestion last week, but that's good to hear. Uh, And it does feel it's kind of been a busy couple of days and there's stuff going on, and obviously we have rugby on the horizon now with New Zealand Super Rugby competition scheduled and, and ready to go and they're getting prepped there so that's amazing as well um, for us who are so starved of, of rugby and we're getting to the end of our tether really with the, the classic games maybe Um, and then kind of off the pitch in the last couple of days there has been loads of, uh, for us to sink our teeth into today so I'm feeling happy Gav and I'm delighted that you're so enthused by it all. <laughs>
1: We're delighted to be joined as well by another great man who warms our hearts on a near-weekly basis. It's former Leinster, Connacht, Sail Sharks and Ireland hooker, former Dragons and Grenoble head coach, Bernard Jackman. How are you, sir?
2: Really good, thanks. Uh, beautiful day. And again, just seeing some some signs of of, of life in terms of rugby coming back. Obviously, um, you know, we spoke with NRL and, and uh, we know Super Rugby is due back in New Zealand. But I, I spoke to... Uh, a coach, a friend of mine in New Zealand this morning, and they they start back tomorrow for the Mitre 10 Cup. I um, started back today, this morning, actually, in small groups with strict protocols around tracking, and uh, coaches aren't allowed into the office, so everything is, is done outdoors. But, um, you know, the coaches that I've, I've chatted to who are, who are back or are hoping to get back in the next couple of weeks are... Are over the moon, and I'm sure the players are as well. Um, I'm I'm sure they're all working really hard, but um, to get back in some kind of group um, format, even small groups, will uh, you know, be great for them mentally. I think, and uh, um, you know hopefully we can get some get some games played. Um, you know, as soon as it's medically safe to do so.
1: Certainly, yeah. Here's hoping. Mind you, I'd say there were a lot of people in Bernard's neck of the woods in Dublin and its surrounding counties who were less than enthused last night at the news that Roman Sanaloa will depart for Munster. And Murray, if they were a little bit cranky yesterday evening, you can imagine how they would be fully seething this morning at further news of another departure and a player who would have been predicted probably to capitalise upon Sanaloa's absence. Give us the lowdown there.
0: Yes, so um, just to kind of bring bring people up to speed before before we get Burns' take on a Jack Ainger, Academy prop, as well as Roman Salanoa, he's off to um, to Connacht. So you've got Salanoa going to Munster, Jack Ainger off to Connacht and obviously Leinster losing two young props out of their depth chart there. Um, I guess the circumstances of it are, are what frustrated Leinster and, and it is, like it wasn't a deliberate ploy to put those two stories out separately. They'd come differently to me. So um, it would have obviously been a stronger story altogether, but sometimes that's how, how these things happen. I guess from Leinster's point of view, the, the our understanding is that there was a bit of chat with Salanoa uh, going to Connacht he kind of opted to stay with Leinster um, and subsequently Jack Anger agreed to make a move to to Connacht Leinster kind of at that stage understood that Salanoa was going to be part of their depth chart moving forward into next season um, but in more recent weeks that move to to Munster which from what i understand was quite strongly encouraged by the RFU um, that kind of started to to move and and is now in place. So uh, Leinster rather have been left in this situation where certainly two guys leaving but um, they had expected to have one of them there in their tight head depth chart and, and listen, there are other quality players I'm sure we'll get into that but um, you can probably understand their frustration from that point of
1: view. Frustrating as well, Bernard, for Leinster supporters as well as those involved in the inner workings of the province. Like if you're a Leinster fan and you're paying attention to their underage teams, A-team, and looking at that conveyor belt of talent that continues to churn out players, these would have been two guys who would have crossed their radar as potentially going on to become significant figures in the senior team. And from a Leinster fan's point of view, I'm sure there are a few asking themselves why they bother now to even get excited by some of these young prospects because ultimately a fair few of them will... Uh, exit probably prematurely as they see it.
2: Yeah, I think that's the that's definitely the challenge for for Leinster. I, I suppose that um, they're always resigned to losing some some of their quality uh, talent coming through when they make their decisions around academy, um, which generally happens. I think it's the the first of April they have to notify um, the IRFU about who they're going to bring into the academy for uh, for the next season and. Again, I stand to be corrected on this, but as far as I know, the rules are um, once that decision is made, um, anybody who's missed out on that in that age group is then uh, free to go uh, to Marcus or the other provinces are allowed. Certainly come in then and, and make an offer uh, to them. and We've seen that happen in the past where where players have gone, I suppose, who couldn't make a Leinster Academy um, into, into other provinces' academies and, and, and had decent careers. I think this is a little bit different in that Anger and, and uh, well, Anger was certainly in the academy. Roman uh, Solano is, is a little bit different in that, um, he you know, he obviously came in a little bit later, wasn't really through the schools or youth system, um, was a, was a bit of a project, and uh, he certainly is someone who has uh, caught the eye to a certain extent in in pretty limited game time in terms of overall minutes, but um you know, definitely was getting game time at, at Pro 14 level uh, for Leinster. And, and it was, I often saw him my um, games, you know, warming up. So 24, 25th man a few times. So they were obviously putting time into his development, getting him ready to, um, I suppose, prepare to play. Um, and he did get to get some 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 decent uh, runs runs out for Leinster and looked looked pretty comfortable. But I, I think from Leinster point of view, and obviously, from a Munster and Connell point of view, um, was the development and the potential that's still there untapped, uh, and that's probably the the reason he was he was highly sought after. And and to be honest, probably the reason there was lots of 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 kind of hype and speculation around was he going to stay or was he going to go, because uh, he does have. Apparently, unbelievable uh, physical uh, athleticism um, in terms of speed, power, uh, fast twitch, and I think Leinster have probably done a huge amount um, of work with him in terms of you know making him a better rugby player and, and um, getting him into shape aerobically and anaerobically that um, you know he can he can play at the level he's playing at. Uh, and now they've lost him, really, and, they, and I'm sure it's a it's a sore one for for them, particularly. You know, to lose two tight ends at the same time. The only thing I would say is I really like Thomas Clarkson, um, who played for the Irish under twenties this year. Um, I'm not sure of his contract situation, but um, I would imagine he's someone who will profit from that. Uh, and has looked, has looked really good. Um, you know, in his own age grade. Uh, I haven't seen a huge momentum uh, playing against men's team, but um, I've seen a lot of him play under twenties level, and and I do think he's he's a really you know interesting profile coming through and they will have others as well but it's just a case of you know it's a case of giving guys game time um, and maybe from a Leinster point of view not being able to guarantee them you know enough first team action which is obviously frustrating from the province's point of from the players point of view and and then also I mean you know we don't know we don't know how much pressure was being put on them to to move to to other provinces if they've gone down there purely for game time um, uh, well, then obviously, I think uh, I can understand that I, I, I kind of did that myself a couple times in my career, but um, you know, it's it is definitely something that I think Leo Cullen and Guy used to be and, and Stewart um would certainly be, be frustrated from, and then so fans would certainly be frustrated from because um, while it might be too high profile losses, um, you don't want you know young tight heads uh, who you believe can come true, uh, really to leave um, uh, when you're probably giving them decent exposure as well. In fairness, that's something that, that Lentz will do pretty well. They, they do share the share the load and they do give young players opportunities. So, um, you know, that's something that can't be really held against them, uh, which in some big clubs doesn't happen as much. I mean, you know, Saracens have brought through some, some high-profile youngsters um, over the last four or five years and, and the, they're now the, the spine of their team. Um, but they probably aren't as good at you know, bringing through the numbers that, that Leinster do, and I'm just picking them because obviously they were European uh, English English champions last year. Um, but Le- what Leinster are very good at is giving players exposure. So, um, and the downside of that is when you give them exposure, they catch the eye of of other clubs and provinces, and it uh, can sometimes work against you a little bit. But um, yeah, it's, it's certainly something that will be hard for I'm sure you know uh, Leinster fans and and, and Leinster uh, um, Leinster management to to take on board.
1: Yeah, Marie, it is probably an area on which Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster would pride themselves, where in Leinster's depth chart, at a particular position, you could be five players deep, and yet they still find a way to provide game time to most, if not all, of those players. You think about half where they're absolutely stacked, but Harry Byrne and Ciarán Frawley get fairly high-profile opportunities in the first team. Is this simply a case from the IRFU's perspective of, Looking at two very different pictures at Tighthead, where in Leinster you have Tyke Furlong, who's 27, could well have his best years ahead of him. We don't know. Andrew Porter, younger again at 24. You have 24 year old Vac Abdeladze. He would have hoped, obviously, to have kept Ainger, who's 21. But then you have Tom Clarkson as well, the Ireland under 20 Tighthead, who Bernard mentioned. Whereas in Munster, you've got. Stephen Archer who is 31 I believe John Ryan is 32 or so and it might just be a more straightforward pathway for Sanaloa to become a first team fixture at one of the provinces
0: yeah from an review point of view this could work out really well you can imagine from their point of view that in a few years time you've got Anger starting hiding in games for Connacht you've got Salanoa or Keenan Knox doing the same in Munster you've got Tom O'Toole doing that in Ulster um, and Tom Clarkson pushing through with Leinster. And then you've got this group of four really exciting, young um, tight heads emerging in behind the likes of, of Furlong and, and Porter. Um, so that's obviously, from, from an IRFU point of view, you can understand the Leinster frustration as well. But I suppose if you look at it from the... Let's start with Salanoa, yeah, you Yeah, you've listed out the, the Leinster options there. The P- Porter and Furlong are both very young for tight heads. They're not going anywhere. Furlong's one of the best in the world so you know he's certainly a, a strong person to sit behind. And um, there's been a bit of chat about Porter going back over to Lucehead and he has obviously played there recently but he's in that pecking order. Michael Bent is the other one. He's 34 now but it looks like he's going to stay on next season and has been a really important player for Leinster um like in a kind of unglamorous way over the last few years playing a lot of minutes on those days when not a lot of people are watching Leinster maybe during the international windows. Um you look then at Munster, yeah, the two frontline guys are, are thirty one and thirty two as you mentioned, and then there's a bit of a gap really. Um, we're not sure exactly what will happen with Kieran Parker and and Brian Scott, uh, just in in behind. But Keenan Knox is obviously twenty one and and really highly rated in Munster. He'll be hoping to push on, but Sana Noah will see that opportunity there for for games and. If it works out that way, then it's brilliant for him and it's obviously brilliant for the Irish international team because he's going to become eligible. Um, potentially this year, we're not quite sure on what exactly is going on there, but he did arrive before the, the three-year residency was changed to five years, so you could have himself and, and Keenan Knox vying for that. Um, and then if you look at Ainger, well, in Connacht they have Finlay Beelam as first choice with Dominic Robertson-McCoy kind of backing that up, but I think Anger will be eyeing up... Um, that third even pushing towards that second-choice slot and getting a lot more minutes there as well. So purely from their point of view, um, at this moment in time, you can see the the opportunity there for them in, in other provinces. But it certainly doesn't make it any easier for Leinster, who more than any other province obviously lose players during the international windows. And um, as we've kind of alluded to, now when Porter and Furlong presumably are away, whenever we get an international rugby back, that's another thing to say. But they have one few one less option in in that depth chart, so you'd have Abdelaz and and Clarkson probably playing more minutes than might have been planned for, might have been uh, foreseen ahead of of time. So it is a, a complex situation. There's loads of different moving parts across all the provinces. Um, but look, if, if it works out, as as I mentioned at the start, there of those four young tight heads getting hiding Cup starts. Um, well, then that's going to benefit the national team, obviously. And that's what the RFU want the provinces to provide. That's, that's I suppose, part of their their existence. Is, is A large part of it is to provide players for the national team because the national team is what drives Irish rugby financially. It's the lifeblood of it, as we're discussing so often now at the moment without the international rugby on, on the horizon anytime soon. 81 percent of the revenues for the for the irish team and when they're doing well everything else filters out of that and um in a financial and in an interest sense as well obviously drawing people to, to the provinces there's the whole element of the provincial identity and we've talked about that a lot um and people will perceive this as being a, a weakening of it that munster and conic should be producing their own tight head props um but that's a that's another very complex issue as well and, and certainly looking at it from an IRFU point of view you can see why they'd want these two guys um, in provinces where they feel um, and maybe the players themselves will feel that there's better opportunity to Bernard to you on. could
1: certainly foresee a situation wherein Knox who Murray mentioned there who I neglected to mention he and Sanaloa vie for monsters' starting position for years to come and for all intents and purposes, they're both imports, albeit with Knox, Munster have been working on him from a, a young age for a couple of years, and he is, to an extent, uh, a Monster product by now. But it is one of the areas which is a point of contention, I think, for Leinster fans, and for Leinster, I'm sure, those involved in the province, where you can point the finger at Munster, Connacht, Ulster, and say, well, why aren't you producing players the way we're producing them? Why are you depending on our academy to supply you with young up-and-coming players uh, that you can dot across your team in future do you and look, like there are all sorts of mitigating factors to this we've touched upon this in the podcast before but do you f- see this now as being to use the very annoying term that's been banded about during this pandemic the new normal where in leinster do feed the other provinces and that's just the way it goes as much as it might be frustrating for leinster fans this is the reality now
2: listen i think for the overall health of irish rugby you have to hope um it's only a a stop gap um i certainly um would hope that you know all the other province provincial academies um and senior teams obviously can can play a role in developing um you know local players i think it's absolutely massive and again i understand there may always be a, a move out of out of Leinster, and there probably always has been, to be honest. Um, you know, particularly in the old days, it was it was exclusively the Connacht, pretty much uh, at the start of professionalism. Um, and certainly, I was I was one of those um, who kind of played my club rugby here, but played my provincial rugby down there. Um, there was very little movement from from a Leinster point of view to, to Munster, um, and obviously over the last probably, you know, well not probably it's you know Stephen Kil and Trevor Hogan coming coming up to Dublin. Was probably the start of of the move up under Michael Check and then obviously since then there's been um, you know like Andrew Conway etc. who've who've gone down there, um, and and players have, have you know left Leinster as well to to go to Ulster recently and and, and Connacht. So it has been happening for for quite a while. I, I suppose you know I think David Nusifora, you know is obviously this is part of his um, job job description and, and part of his role. Uh, but again I'm sure he's very, very active on on trying to find a way where you know Leinster can keep their best young talent. Um, and you know, and this is a case where they are probably losing. Well Roman is obviously someone that they they definitely wanted to keep. Um, and maybe that forced uh, that forced the hand with, with Anger and then suddenly you lose two. Um, but I, I, I do think there needs to be a huge focus on on the academies in the other other provinces and making sure look at they're never gonna have the same amount of of numbers in terms of talent in their in their regions um, and in the provinces but it's a case of making sure that any any talent they do have uh, that everything is put in place around that that player to to help them come true. And sometimes you know things will change whether it's whether it's uh, the player's hunger or ambition, whether it's injury, etc. Um uh, and some players don't kick on to the level that you expect, but I think the others need to be even better than Leinster um, in terms of their their player development pathways, because you know they have less numbers, so they really need to make sure that, that they don't miss out on anybody, whereas probably Leinster can afford uh, to miss out on, on two or three um because they have you know so many bodies coming through. But I think the next step is is to re to reexamine what's happening in each province provincial academy. Um, and making sure best practices in place, and trying to be creative in terms of finding, you know, young talent, and also then, I suppose, polishing those diamonds because you know they need to be better. It's just not, it's not great. I don't think um, you know if if, if the, the the local talent and the local player pool becomes diluted um, in the next ten years, where effectively seventy percent of 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 the other provinces are, are are players who've kind of started off in Leinster.
0: Yeah, that's a really, that's a really valid point because people say, look at the New Zealand model where, like, to be fair, it's it's a more advanced stage than what we're, we are here, where still an interventional transfer will cause a lot of angst. Whereas in, in New Zealand, I think, unless it's a really big-name player, it's more accepted and it's become part of how the New Zealand rugby works. And the RFU probably look at that and go, we can get to that stage, but that's not necessarily a great thing either because you look at someone like Craig Casey now coming through the Munster Academy, like Munster fans are so excited about him because he grew up near toman Park he cares so passionately about wearing the jersey and being part of it and you can really get on you know you can get on that train you can be energised by it certainly we're seeing that with supporters it is important that that keeps happening and uh, you don't want to lose that, that uh, engagement from fans that has been such a big part of Irish rugby I suppose one part of it like you're totally right, Bernard. The population thing is always going to be a factor in it. That's just a reality we have to mention every time because it's true. But it's not, it's not an excuse, I suppose. And then it's about where your priorities lie. Finance has always come into this. I spoke to Peter Malone, who's the Munster Academy boss, recently about the fact that there's only one Leinster player, or sorry, one Limerick player in Munster's Academy, which is really jarring fact because you perceive it as such a A hotbed of of talent and it has been for Munster and Limerick players have been at the core of some of their biggest successes that's just dried up really um he was mentioning that listen there's only one private school there in Limerick which is Glenstall kind of outside the city and the other schools don't have the resources um you know I asked him can Munster put more resource into that because obviously if you have say several Limerick schools that are private, they're going to have more investment into their rugby program, as you see with a lot of Dublin schools. They're not going to go private, obviously, but can Munster be the ones who invest into those rugby programs potentially um, and put them in place and and have those talents that Berners mentioned even more polished when they're coming out of school and even more ready? Um, it's about priorities, I guess. Like, where is your money going? Is it going on, say, someone like Arno Botha's contract and contract extension, or is it going into producing players a, a bit further down the line and then the minutes he takes in the senior team are are filled by someone like Jack O'Sullivan or or whoever it is who's who's coming through or even even the bigger recruits. Obviously it's private investment to get the Elenda and Snyman in and that's gonna make Munster so much better obviously and I think they they'll be contesting for trophies because nearly because of those two signings, adding to the quality they already have, but you know, can some of that private investment go into a couple of those schools programs or, or clubs programs to help produce and help push players on a little bit earlier? Um, so there's a lot of factors in it again, and it is a reality that Leinster, as Bernard says, with the playing numbers and and the quality of players coming through, some of them are going to go around the country and and help the other provinces. That is good. We we want all the provinces strong, but we definitely want them, you know, producing their own players. That supporters clearly. Um, can engage with.
1: Murray, one of the areas in which Munster have actually operated quite well is how they have extended their net to counties like Waterford, regions like West Cork, and they are starting to harvest talent from outside of the more traditional rugby areas in the province. But if you take the school situation in Munster in isolation, right, you had Christians and prayers were in the Munster Schools Senior Cup final this year. It wasn't played, so the cup is shared. It was a repeat of last year's final between the same two schools from Cork. The year before that, I think you had Glenstall beating Christians in a final. The year before that, Prez won a final. The year before that, Christians won a final. So it does seem as though there's a pattern, a pattern emerging in which the fee-paying schools from Munster and probably most pertinently Cork are creating a bit of a chasm between them and, let's say, the chasing pack, some of those non-fee-paying schools from Limerick, for example. Now, that being said, historically in this competition, Christians have won the most Monster School Senior Cups, followed by prayers, followed by another fee-paying school in Rockwell, and yet this has never before really been an issue that there were sort of, let's say, leading schools in terms of the numbers of Cups won, because you still had Munchens there, thereabouts every year, who went on to produce players, say, like Keith Earls, who goes on to become one of Munster's greatest ever players. Is this just a simple case of it being a residual impact of the advent of professionalism in the game starting to trickle down to schools' level and maybe just an element of capitalism that is now a part of all sports, wherein the schools with money are able to install infrastructure and facilities... That other schools simply can't afford and as a result they were able to produce players that are more readily capable of going on to play professional rugby
0: yeah i mean that that's definitely part of it you, you can pay for better facilities and and have more regular coaching and, and that helps a lot um and the limerick thing is like really complex there's so much in it you could spend hours discussing it there's obviously the hurling strength and and the lure of that for players now, and, and a whole lot of other factors, even economically, and, and people, um, going away for jobs, etc. There's there's a lot in it, but it it you know it can be better from from Munster's point of view. It's brilliant that the two Cork schools you mentioned there, um, and and West Cork producing players has been a kind of new avenue that's been really positive and again really exciting. I think for Munster fans, they seem to have really engaged with that. Thomas O'Hearn coming from Waterford, Owen O'Connor, another Waterford man, is in the academy with him as well and they're kind of following in Jack O'Donoghue's footsteps and now there's that that pathway that's been kind of broken through by by O'Donoghue and, and they can kind of follow in that and you would hope that more guys come from there as well. Jake Flannery, obviously from Tip, there's always been that source of a couple of players as well but you certainly want Munster producing Limerick players and again, that's what fans engage with. Casey's a prime example. He's He's, um, you know, Limerick through and through and, and people love that around Thurman Park. So, yeah, there's there's work to be done there. We're not, you know, they are working hard on it. They are trying to produce players um, and certainly those new avenues are really positive, but it can always be better, definitely.
1: The AIL is presumably another avenue, Bernard, which could be explored if it's not being explored already. When you think of the number of incredibly proud historic clubs that are in Limerick and its surrounding areas if you can cultivate a community buy-in a little bit more reminiscent of previous eras and you just have enough players playing and enough people involved in a the club, there's probably fruit that can be picked from that. Uh, players don't need to come from schools. Uh, like That's not what we're saying. But if you have enough yeah, involvement 100%. at club oh, level and IAL the right infrastructure really in place good,
2: again, um, breeding ground you will for, produce for a, a few diamonds. And absolutely, again, I'm not saying it has to be... Sorry, I, I didn't mean schools. Just schools. I meant the the problem is if the AIL pl- clubs in Limerick aren't getting you know players who have the the ability to go and play for Munster. It doesn't matter what kind of environment they have there. So it starts a little bit younger. It starts at 13, 14, 15 making sure you know that the guys who are athletically equipped to, to make it at pro level or higher level or even not even pro level like you know AIL level that they make a decision um, to play rugby over over hurling. And, and and that's like I, I like J. I love J. As well. But I'm just saying from a from a rugby point of view that they need to make sure that the a, a significant proportion of the best athletes um, play rugby, uh, and, and rather than just let them all go play hurling, because even then, doesn't matter what goes in, uh, you can't polish. It a, 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 you know what? Uh, if the doesn't matter how good Shannon, Munster, Gary, On uh, etc. Are, uh, if the players don't have the necessary skill set, athleticism, mental toughness um, etc, physical ability to go and to to another level or even that level you know, everyone's in in trouble
1: Hmm. A couple of high profile departures then as well from Munster Murray with Sammy Arnold and Connor Oliver heading west to Connacht, two young guys, two guys with plenty of potential yet to be fulfilled, I was only watching uh, Monsters Champions Cup quarterfinal with Toulon from a few years ago yesterday, actually, and some of the hits that Sammy Arnold puts in in that game are fairly remarkable. I kind of forgot about his performance as an individual that day. And from Connick's point of view, two really good signings, provided you can keep Connor Oliver fit and unlock some of that potential that we mentioned. And provided you can get Sammy Arnold... Back to a stage where he's yeah, kind so of fighting players fit. players at a different stage of
0: their career. They're both 24. Arnold's at Ireland International as well. We shouldn't forget. Joe Schmidt captain in 2018 against the US, but it looked really promising for him at that stage. He kind of uh, has regressed slightly due to injury, I would say, in a large part, and, and maybe a couple of selection decisions here and there with Munster, and, and probably struggled for game time more recently. Same with Oliver, really. He excelled under Razzie Erasmus that 2016-17 season uh, played a lot of rugby looked really good obviously slightly smaller player but so combative and, and skillful um, but just in the last three seasons since a lot of injury issues niggles here and there um, and just falling down the pecking order so there'd been plenty of chat maybe that they'd be off to the UK um, a couple other clubs mentioned and stuff but it, yeah it looks like they're going to stay in Ireland now which if confirmed is fantastic because but they both have uh, plenty of growth left in their game Arnold is he's a superb athlete I remember when he was playing under 20s which he did for two seasons in a row I remember talking to one of the s guys and they couldn't just get over the sheer explosive power he had much stronger than a lot of the forwards um, even and you know as you mentioned there when he's when he was on form and, and showing that physicality he was you know he's been awesome for Munster really powerful in the tackle a really kind of ferocious uh, competitor as well so he if he is confirmed to go to Connacht he'll be really excited about potentially getting a few more opportunities in midfield where they do have good options Um, to be fair but you know Bundyaki going away to Ireland camps and stuff helps and, and Oliver the same in the back row we've discussed Connacht's back row uh, quite a bit but um, you know, they'll probably still look for that big ball carrying option. No, nothing confirmed on that front yet, but Kobe Fenga, the starting open side, is off. It sounds like Robin Copeland may be uh, finishing up there as well potentially. So there'll be space in that back row to to make a run at it. And yeah, these are moves where you know you probably don't have that sense of anger because they're not in the Munster first choice team or they're not on that academy pathway. Um, but two guys who probably need more game time to show exactly what they can do and to have them in the the Irish mix
1: would be really positive. Two good moves all around for you Bernard.
2: Yeah, I think they're they're both good players. Um have a nice bit of experience uh built up from Munster and you know um the Connacht did need squad the Connacht squad needed strengthening. I think need strengthening with players um like Oliver and, and Arnold and then I do think as well they need to probably go to the um to the farm farm market and and get in a couple of uh, players with a little bit of a different profile, but definitely I, I felt sorry for Andy Friend last year. Uh, the the depth of the squad got exposed um, during the World Cup, and then obviously they had a horrendous injury list. So uh, yeah, I think that that's a great move for for both players and, and a good move for Connacht, and, and um, it is great they're they're staying in Ireland because both of them are are, are are very very good good options.
1: Murray, looking to the north, then Ulster seem to be tying off their squad, done and dusted for. Next season, you had a youngster departing there during the week, but you also had better news on the contract front for two key players, one of whom is one of the players we were probably alluding to at the start of the conversation, former Leinster back row, Jordy Murphy.
0: Yeah, himself and Will Allison have signed, it's been confirmed finally that they've signed new two-year deals. Obviously important players up there. And Addison, a, a favourite of many Irish rugby fans, I think, and people will hope that he can push on with the national team, even. He's been injury-blighted, really, um, has had issues tr- throughout, really, and never has had a really good run of games going. Even that suspension um, kind of prevented him the the high tackle. Um, so it's been kind of frustrating and stop start for him, but everyone can see his quality at fullback or 13. Really creative player, adds something different to a backline, kind of runs across the pitch, but it always works out somehow. He, he manages to find a gap. And Murphy's obviously established himself really well since moving up from Leinster. A big move, but um, he's become a, a kind of se- senior figure really quickly in Ulster. They've confirmed their full 43 man squad for next season. And it, it does look good on paper. You look at the depth chart across the positions guys coming back from injury, some really good young talent. You have Ian Madigan and, and Albie Mathieson coming in to provide a bit of experience in, in the halfback positions and loads of uh, exciting talent out wide, uh, which is one of the reasons I think people were surprised to see Angus Kernahan, the 21-year-old wing who was playing for the Ireland Under-20s just last year and um, had shown his kind of potential. He's He was one of the players to let be let go along with uh, Clive Ross and Zach McCall. Kernan probably the one who was Certainly, we're getting a lot of messages on it, and people wondering where he's going. It looks like he's off to the championship, and and he's still obviously only twenty one, so he's plenty of room for growth. and And he certainly is a good talent, so you hope to see him progressing on um and potentially coming back into the mix at some stage as well. But Ulster do look to be in a in a nice place under Dan McFarland. I know they're going to be eager to get back out, um and continue the progress they've made in in the last three seasons. Obviously, also the you know something we touched on in the the members newsletter. Uh, this week was their academy changes um, seven players have been released out of the academy and six new guys coming in so they're down to 15 now which um, is probably smaller than a lot of times in the past but I think they're trying to really focus in on players who they feel definitely have that potential to to go on and, and make an impact at the next level a couple of really interesting additions Nathan Doak who, whose father Neil obviously is a, a really good coach he's over at Worcester at the moment. He's really uh, fancied as a scrum half or or out half even, um, and you've a couple of the Ireland under twenties, Ethan McIlroy and, and Lewis Finley, the scrum half coming in. the The most interesting one is probably Cormac, is a who um is from Tullamore. He's twenty now at this stage. He played for Leinster underage, having come through Ross Cray, and has been with Ireland Sevens recently. Uh, he's six foot seven, so he's a big unit, but he can really move. He looks like a winger to be honest when he's sprinting and. Um they're, I, I suppose, taking a bit of punt on him He's a, a bit more raw than some guys, but uh, there's a lot of excitement there. They think he maybe even can develop into uh, a kind of blindside flanker or or, or a, a second row who's really mobile around the pitch. So definitely an interesting one to follow. So um, yeah, all round really kind of lots of positive movement for the Ulster squad, and nice for them to have their their squad confirmed at this stage and ready to move forward.
1: Yeah, Birch, if you're Dan McFarland, are you happy enough with your lot there or are there areas in which you would have liked to have seen Ulster strengthen that little bit more?
2: I think if, if you had Mar, uh, Marcel Cotzi, you'd be happy any, any day. No. Uh, <laughs> in fairness, he's really building a, a good squad and, and they seem to be doing a really good job of, of developing um, the talent that they have. And uh, again, the Ulster Academy probably... Three or four years ago was under a lot of criticism and and scrutiny um but i think they've they are starting to tur- they've turned that corner and, and again you know i' have no issue with only having fifteen um It's about bringing five of those true or or um to become you know european cup level players if 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 um if they can do that um then they've done a you know a great job and um you know i think dan is dan's a very good coach he's got a really good coaching team around him and uh you know i've got a nice a nice squad building up now and, and they weren't a million miles away this year um you know for being you know a top four team i think in in terms of being potential trophy winners and um i, I think next year are going to be better i think stands third season so um yeah really exciting things happen and up in up in ravenhill
1: a lot of excitement as well in your former country of residence bernard in the shape of a massive investment in the Ospreys, which has probably connotations um, mainly good for the Pro Fourteen and beyond. Uh, what's your overall reaction to that, to begin with?
2: I think it's it's amazing. Um, like uh, it, it, a lot of deals that were due to happen, not not just in a rugby point of view, but in a in a business world, uh, are completely on hold at the moment because um, obviously. There's that uncertainty. The the global game is 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 in uh, is in turmoil, and obviously the Pro 14 isn't going to be finished. So I think it's brilliant that they've been able to to get this deal through um, at the time. I think there's a big shock because um, you know it's obviously a, an Asian consortium who are who are taking uh, a significant investment in in, in the Ospreys. Uh, I think the background to it is the Ospreys have been really cash strapped, and, and um, I felt you know I really felt sorry for Steve Tandy. Um, and Alan Clark, uh, who were the previous two head coaches, um, who, who didn't have the same level of, of, of budget as their, as their predecessors, but yet they were being probably um, expected to bring in the same level of results as, as the Ospreys had when they had benefactors. So um, it has affected them. They've managed to keep a lot of their, their big name players, and they've been able to bring in some really high profile recruits like Garrett Anscombe and, and George North um this season despite you know a, a, a budget that was that was falling year on year. And obviously when you do that you sacrifice other elements of your squad. So you sacrifice your second tier or your third tier. And they're very unfortunate that Anscom did his knee ligaments in a um in a, in a World Cup warm-up for Wales. So they never got to, to use him on the field and, and George North obviously was gone to the World Cup and had some some injury issues as well. So um difficult. but, but on paper, if they had their best fifteen out Every week, I think they could go toe to toe with with any team in in um in the Pro Fourteen, and uh, I think hopefully what this will do for Toby Booth, who's coming in as head coach, will give him um you know some additional resources to go out and and, and buffer that squad deeper. And I, I think from from a, a Pro Fourteen point of view, it can only be good if it, if it increases their um their budget and their spending power, uh, because I think we need a strong Ospreys. I mean, they were a, a really valuable um part of the of the pro twelve and and um and even in europe you know they, they were a team that no one really wanted to play against and they've lost us they've they've lost their way um and a lot of it's around money to be honest a lot of it's around money um but again i think, and it might give it might give other investors you know um uh, confidence or, or or hope or or maybe look at some of the other welsh regions mm-hmm. as well and and see if they can if if they're viable. You know um, opportunities to invest in and and get them up to the level of, of the Ulsters, Munsters, and Leinsters are close to it, and we can have a really strong you know domestic competition. So for me, it's 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 a surprise, um, but uh, I'm delighted, I'm delighted for the the players and the coaches and the Ospreys and the fans to to hopefully see some um, some light and, and and some potential for, from you know better better days on the field.
1: Murray Bernard mentioned you need a strong Ospreys. We definitely needed a strong something in the pro 14 uh league whose marquee fixtures involve second string teams from one country uh, is probably not in great health and one would have suspected the pro 14 would have required something resembling an overhaul if it was to really garner that buy-in from a wider net of supporters as had been the plan really when the league began is this something of a reprieve for the Pro 14 just an injection of cash into the Ospreys but an injection of excitement and just a little bit of a new dynamic in the league
0: yeah it's absolutely brilliant for the competition I think the excitement caused by it even with osprey's fans with other clubs taking attention of it even us discussing it because often with the pro 14 we just focus on our provinces and that's about it even with supporters you you don't really care about the other teams at times i think it'd be brilliant if they start to build now um, and keep moving in the right direction the last couple of seasons have been tough they've been in the champions cup place kind of you know the final playoff the last two seasons um and you think back to them when they were you know four time champions when they had that incredible rivalry with Leinster that was riveting to follow riveting to watch a team who were good enough to to beat Leinster with a array of stars and a really good coach obviously that was fascinating rivalry and it's been such a shame that that's dipped away and listen I know they've got to a couple of semi-finals in recent years but you you you've got to the point where sometimes you're almost taking it for granted that the provinces are going to beat the Ospreys that shouldn't be the situation in Europe you'd love to see them get back on a bit of a run. They've been to the quarterfinal three times, again, around that era when they had lots of big star names who were playing for Wales as well. But I don't see any reason why they shouldn't aspire to be in those knockout stages, to be a, a genuine player. And, and Scarlets have shown that, you know, if you get the programme right, within a couple of years, you can make really big improvements out on the pitch and and move up into that category where you're contending. I think it would be absolutely fantastic, definitely, for the Pro 14 because, really, the, the competition needs that. It, it needs people... Who can go and, and challenge Leinster in the RDS as the Ospreys used to do, um, and beat them as well? That would be fantastic for the competition. So I think as long as everything works out okay and and the deal is is robust and and puts that bit of finance into the ospreys i think this is a really positive move um and it was interesting i know like of course the, the statements and stuff are often a lot of bullshit but it was interesting just to see this this company y11 sports and media they're based in hong kong i couldn't find actually a lot more information about them but i would guess there's some sort of welsh connection there um but you know they're talking about rugby's potential commercially having been overlooked for too long and and maybe other sports have been a bit nimbler, they, they said, at seizing those opportunities. So I'm really interested to see in, in what sense they mean that, what they actually do to to try and catch up with other sports and be a little bit more innovative and creative and excite fans and, and drag new fans, younger fans probably, into the game as well. Um, so anything in, the, in that kind of avenue is, is good for Ospreys, Welsh rugby, definitely the Pro 14 and just, just the sport in general. We need more top-class clubs competing against each other.
1: Is it a universally popular development in Wales, Bernard, or could you foresee potentially a couple of issues, which we've seen from clubs in various countries when they have had a, an investment like this, where a club's interests may diverge from the national plan, if you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is going to be the challenge and a the Ospreys have had a, a pretty uh, contentious relationship with the with the WRU for for the last while, and, and I suppose the most high-profile one was the the merger, the the rumored merger from with the Scarlets, which the Ospreys denied, but um, uh, lots of other people uh, said was actually very much on the table. So um, it's it's going to be interesting. I, I think the other regions won't be happy because suddenly they see someone who was <laughs> down on uh, was on his knees uh, potentially having. Having uh, a competitive edge, um, and that's the that's the I suppose the inter inter our inter county our country rivalry, which isn't a bad thing, you know, because um, I mean the, the others were profiting from from the Ospreys' budget falling. Really, they were able to take some of their their squad players. So, um, look, I think the the biggest thing is it, it's probably so early we we don't know exactly what it means in terms of how much money is is going to come in and, and when it will come in um, and that's going to be the issue. But I, I can see you know, the way, the way WRU were trying to get away from the benefactor model and trying to make the, each team more self-sufficient and um, having uh, more clarity around um, funding models etc. Uh, but you know the reality was the teams weren't getting enough money from that model to really compete and the Scarlets you know, had dropped off, um, obviously post Wayne Pivak, but um, some of that was was around budget. I mean, you, you see Hadley Parks going to Japan. You know, he was an unbelievable player for Wales and, and Scarlets, but obviously for budgetary reasons, um, they weren't able to, to keep him. So um, it's uh, it's definitely it's, I think it's a positive, but we just need to find out a little bit more details around um, how it's going to play out.
0: The whole the whole situation now just to add your your point to it there, Bernard what's happening in the game now and the financial difficulties probably are it probably is changing how people view these possible deals and even you see from New Zealand in the New Zealand Herald it was Liam Napier reporting that New Zealand rugby are now kind of engaging private equity from the US for potential deals down the line to bring a bit more finance in that way it'll be really interesting to see what that kind of fallout that side of it how how it all works out um and you, you know bernie you've mentioned in the past you think the the wages are going to be affected by, by this even how players are contracted a number of them potentially um and that's even more up now that the the premiership independent report into salary cap is out and there there's question marks over the marquee players and being more stringent with that so i think we're going to see a lot of a lot of changes on that front probably bernard and and even on the coaching front as well it, it seems like um, potentially people are going to you know whittle down the, the coaching staff so it seems like there's going to be a lot of change in the game
2: yeah and I think the, well just go to the coach. there's definitely going to be change for sure and it, um, I think just from a, a coaching point of view I think a lot of more coaches are going to have to double up and, and triple up you know so will you have a specialist uh, skills coach or will the backs coach um, do backs uh, and skills or will you expect your scrum coach to be able to do lineouts and lineout mauls? malls or can your scrum coach do defence? And I think, you know, look, listen to some of the Stuart Lancaster webinars and, you know, he's always pushing his coaches to be... This is enough to do with the COVID or the economic crisis. He was always, um, you know, pushing his coaches to become experts in other areas. And I think there's also value in that as well in terms of if you have you know three really good coaches well you want them to have more contact points uh, with the players during the week than actually being limited to, to just one area um, and you know if they can upskill and and take I suppose more ownership and and, and take um, other areas of the game well then they're going to have more opportunities to influence behavior and improve their players so I can see I can see a positive from it from a the negative from it obviously is that a lot of coaches are going to struggle to to stay in the game. Um and you know, if each club was to, to cut one member of, of staff, I mean that would lead to, you know, a, a huge amount of people really struggling to to, to get in. And obviously for ex players uh, or players retiring who had eyes on on that being their um their their new career it's gonna make it more difficult. But look at people will adapt and, and uh, the cream of the rice at the top and uh yeah it's, it's it's just um it's just probably the way the game is going to go now for economic reasons and in in some ways it's probably not bad for for culture development as well to be more multi-skilled but um it's hard to it's hard to see that if you're one of the people under pressure for your job
1: challenging and changing times but gentlemen it's been a lot of fun as predicted to talk about current affairs rugby Murray, thanks a mil
0: Thanks Gavin, glad that worked out because immediately after I suggested I was like, what if nothing happens between now and then but thankfully it that did was, that was a lot of fun <laughs>
2: Yeah, brilliant Well done boys Thanks man
1: Thank you very much indeed Bernard For the 42 members this week Murray caught up with former Munster favourite James Collin who is now the defence and forwards coach down in Provence It's a brilliant chat that one on Gavin Cooney's Behind the Lines podcast Keith Duggan is the latest in high calibre line of guests to provide a masterclass in sports writing and storytelling and even if you've absolutely no inclination to write about sport by the way you've got to give those behind the lines pods a spin as a friend said to me recently it's absolute yarnage he's no longer my friend i hope you all enjoyed a masterclass in coaching by stuart lancaster on shane keegan's how to win a Dominoes podcast last week and this week's episode is a doozy as well billy walsh one of the nation's greatest ever man managers in a sporting context head coach for nearly a quarter of Ireland's 31 Olympic medals since 1896, and currently head coach at USA Boxing, stops off to talk shop with Shane in that one. And today, Thursday, famed sports filmmaker and our producer here at the 42 Rugby Weekly, Kevin Branigan is back with a brand new Warriors audio documentary, this one centred around the legend of the Leitrim team that won the Connacht title in 1994. Branagh's Wexford 96 documentary from a few weeks ago which went out to members, uh, remains my favourite piece of sports content that I've consumed during this pandemic. And yes, I have watched eight episodes of The Last Dance, which is also excellent. I can't wait for Leitrim 94, and in keeping with that theme, tomorrow, Friday, Gav Cooney and Seamus O'Reilly return with episode three of Really Into Years, wherein the lads will take us back to the 1994, which occurred mostly outside of Leitrim, actually, for a World Cup, prize fights, title run-ins, and perhaps even the invention of the George Foreman Grill. That's all just this week, by the way. You also have earlier episodes of all of the aforementioned pods. You have a full season of Paul Dollery's award-winning football family podcast to binge on your 5Ks. You've got the Byline series, in which we ask some of Ireland's greatest novelists to write about sport. And Donal Ryan's Hurling from the Ditch I say, nearly reduced me to tears. And it's all available at members.the42.e. 5 euro per month, or 42 euro for an annual subscription. And if you don't take my word for it that it's worth your few bob, take it from Bernard Jackman, who signed up just a few weeks ago. Until Monday's Rugby Weekly Extra podcast for members, or if you're not yet a member until Thursday, mind yourselves and take it easy.
0: I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant
1: and you lose your job, nobody really
2: notices. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is
1: robi Roby weekly
2: pass Goal! Goal!